Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. And you can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Julie Gerstenblatt is the author of Daughters of Nantucket. Julie holds a doctorate in curriculum and instruction from Teachers College, Columbia University. Her essays have appeared in the Huffington Post and Cognoscenti, among others. When not writing, Julie is a college essay coach, as well as a producer and on-air host for A Mighty Blaze. A native New Yorker, Julie now lives in coastal Rhode Island with her family and one very smart, Sishan Poo. Daughters of Nantucket is her first novel. Welcome, Julie. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Daughters of Nantucket. I am thrilled to be here. Okay, I need to know what fun events you're doing in Nantucket to celebrate this book, because I want to come to something. <laughs> oh, yay! Okay, so because the book came out, you know, came out in March, March is not a thing on Nantucket, right. as right. we know, which is, I explained to, uh, to HarperCollins. So the plan is for Daffodil Weekend to be the Nantucket launch for the book. So I will be there signing books at Mitchell's on Main Street during the part of the 
parade where the cars are parked in town. All the antique cars are covered in daffodils. Everybody strolls through town in the morning and shops and comes and has books signed at Mitchell's. And then there's an antique car parade out to Sconset and picnics and tailgating out there. So I mentioned it to my friends and 20 people are coming with me just for fun for the weekend. And some people have like their child's junior prom on Friday night. So they're coming early Saturday. Some are coming for the whole thing. My Boston writing group is coming. My mother's making daffodil headbands for everybody. So fun. I knew you would be doing something fun. Wait, so when is daffodil weekend? Daffodil weekend is the last weekend of April. So it coincides with independent bookstore day too. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I'll be in Charleston for a retreat, but oh well. There's more. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> the book festival, the Nantucket Book Festival in June. Okay. June 15th to 18th, Thursday to Sunday. And my husband and I are going for the whole thing. When they were like, can you arrive early? I was like, yes. They're like, can you stay late through Cisco Brewers on Sunday? Yes. <laughs> and then I'll be there for two weeks for family vacation at the end of July through the first week of August. So there will be things then too, but they haven't been planned yet. Okay. Well, I can't come, not that this is about myself. I can't come that week. I can't come in June, but I would love to come. I, I would love to get to Nantucket. I haven't been in so long. And yeah. since my friend got married, like, I don't know, that must've been like 15, 20 years. I don't even know. So I would, anyway, keep me yeah. posted. I'm, I'm on your list. I know I follow you, but whatever. Um, okay. Now back to the book. And now that I've learned all about Nantucket from your book, I feel like more of a vested interest uh, in the whole community anyway. Okay. Daughters of Nantucket. Julie. Can you please tell us what your book is about? Sure. My novel is about three women whose lives intersect in the days leading up to and immediately following Nantucket's Great Fire of 1846. So what I like to say is that these women's personal dramas, their secrets, their jealousies, and all of their, you know, climactic moments hit just as the fire hits town. Did you read yet Rachel Beanland's book, Like a House on Fire? No. Oh my gosh. You you two have to do an event together. I know. I tried. She approached us to be interviewed by Mighty Blaze, and I was like, I'm the perfect person to do it, but I will be on book tour when she's on book tour. So we kind of are both so busy separately, but we will plan something. Yes. Two fires are better than one. Yeah. You should do like, I, yeah, it would be a, it would be a good conversation. Mm. I should like moderate it or something. Yes, you should. Okay. That sounds good. Let's figure- yeah. We could try to figure something out. If I could convince you both to go to the store in LA, <laughs> you could do it in there. No, I'm coming. I wonder if we can oh, yeah, get you are coming. Mom. When I'm going to be there, it's kind of a weird time though. And you're not going to be there. Oh, that's true. So I can, but I, my son's out there. So I'm happy to go back, you know, okay. any other, another time. All right. We'll figure, I'll loop her in and, uh, We'll, we'll figure something else out. What drew you to this fire? Why did you decide to write a novel? Like, where did this come from in your So house? I've been going to Nantucket since I was eight years old, the summer of 1978. My family packed up our car from New York, which like, you know, Nantucket wasn't a thing to New Yorkers in the 70s, yeah. like Hamptons, Jersey Shore, whatever. And my aunt lived in Wellesley, Massachusetts, heard about it from her neighbors, convinced us all, including my grandparents, to come. And we went to Nantucket and I fell in love with it and um, have been going back ever since. I did not know about the Great Fire, however, until I stumbled across it in a history of the island written by Nathaniel Philbrick. And there are two paragraphs 
about the fire, like on page 11 and that's it. And I was, I was hooked. I was like, give me more Nat. Like I want to know about this fire. So it really started with that curiosity. I was not a historical fiction writer at all. I wrote funny contemporary stories about women, like the one about the woman in her thirties, who the woman in her forties, who I had agents. I had, I wrote three or four novels, nothing sold. And so my editor, my agent at the time said, I think this historical one, when you talk about it, you sound excited. I know you don't think of yourself as a writer of historical fiction, but this is set on Nantucket and that makes it different. That has the hook for you. Maybe you should explore it. And that's how that came to be. So cool. Yeah. And then Uh, the agent broke up with me. What? (laughs) Yeah. I wrote the first hundred. I workshopped it in Boston with my class. They were all into it, really feeling strongly about it. And my agent said, in a very long letter, said an email, said something like, it's not, I'm not saying I hate it, but I don't remember the rest of that sentence. But after she failed to sell one novel, told me she didn't like another contemporary one I was working on, and then convinced me to do this one and didn't like it. I got on the phone with her. We talked it out. I had like an angry cry. I was like, I'm not sad. I'm mad at you. You know, it was really bad. And she said, she's here for me. No worries. She's sticking with me. And then the next day emailed me to break up. Well, you know what? It sounds like that was not a match made in heaven to begin with. Right. It wasn't meant to be, be. but at least this book came out of it. Now maybe you can go back to all those other books. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I wondered about that and somebody has asked me about that, but I feel now like I've, I'm in this historical fiction thing for a little while. Okay. I have two other books in the series planned. They're standalones, kind of like Alka Joshi or Natalie Jenner, where characters come back, but you know, it's a few years ahead. And, um, I'm psyched about I'm psyched about them. So then, after that, maybe I'll return to the to the funny contemporary. Oh, but you found your groove. This is exciting. Yeah. Wait, I want to hear about the other ones, and then we'll come back to this one. Okay, sure. So the second one will take place five years after this one ends, and will there's a sentence you know as a writer, you know, the phrase like to kill your darlings. Like sometimes you have like, something's not working a character. Like you have a mother and an older neighbor who are both giving the main character advice. You have to consolidate them into one and kill one off. So I had to do that with a friend to Eliza Macy, who was not a point of view character and was competing with Mariah for attention on the page. So, and I loved her. So her name is Nell Starbuck. And there's a sentence in the book now where Nell Starbuck is off with her merchant husband, sailing the seas and traveling the globe to bring back wares to New England. And and you mentioned that at the very beginning, because I remember reading Starbuck and thinking, oh, I wonder if that's related to Starbucks. Yes, and it, and it is. The, the Macy's are the Macy's of Macy's Department Store, and the Starbucks are the Starbucks of, of the coffee brand, two of the 10 original families to find Nantucket. Well, not find it, but to claim it for the Europeans. So, yeah, so now is the second book. It's going to be, it starts on Nantucket while she's packing and you see some of the people you missed at at the end of the first and get some answers. And then you go on Clipper ship, which is the fastest ship that was ever set on, you know, that sailed the seas. Clipper ship to San Francisco at the height of the gold rush and then on to China where calamity ensues. That's a long (laughs) boat ride. 
I know. I'm going to try to not. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I think it was 80 days. It's oh my goodness. Like wow. Yeah. Yeah. Around the world in 80 days. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah like, just, Still. yeah. Um, oh my gosh. And then what's the one after that? And do you have Nothing. a title? Do you have a title yet? You know, I don't because I come up with terrible titles. My title for this one was the first one was a great fire. And I called it that forever until I wrote the prologue with my agent. That was an addition later. And the last sentence of the prologue says, every great fire begins with a tiny spark. And now all Nantucket needs is for someone to light the fuse. And she's like, let's call it a tiny spark. So we sold it with that. And Jenna Blum, who is my writing teacher and and friend, um, said, you can't say tiny in your title. You want this book to be big and it's it's gotta be big. And apparently everybody agreed and changed the title to what I now know is a good system of like, tell them who and where daughters Mm -hmm. of Nantucket, you know, witches of Eastwick. Oh, interesting. (laughs) The Paris librarian, the lost girls of Paris. So it helps somebody very quickly decide, yes, I like this because they feel connection with the character or the setting. So I know um, there's a term for a woman who was a merchant and it's she merchant. So I don't know if the she merchant of Nantucket works, but that's kind of my working title because it's going to be the daughter who really steps up and takes over for Peter. And now after said calamity and The third one is two sisters after the Civil War who go to Europe for um, their European tour, kind of like a room with a view. But for men, it was much more, it was much less about sitting in museums and having culture and much more about adventures, sexual and otherwise. So I feel like these women have to have a little bit more fun in Europe. Interesting. (laughs) Maybe you should call it the second one, Nantucket Travels. Yes. Travels is great. That's a good idea. Like, right, because that's really what it is. They start yeah. in Nantucket, but then they go other places. Yeah. Nantucket Travels. I think that's good. I wonder if it sounds more nan- non-fiction-y, but I oh. can work with that. I like travel. Um, like, travels from Nantucket? Travels from, yeah, something like that. Um, but considering I... I love, I love coming up with titles. <laughs> good. You have time. I was going to say, I've only <laughs> written three pages. think about it all summer and all fall (laughs) but the books are publishing I'm like oh no I'm not going to change this one I was like but what about (laughs) I don't know Um, that's awesome so what when you did so how did you do the research on the fire and everything like were you literally were you in historical musty societies with like creaky boards and attics and all of that that's how I picture it I spent I spent like two hours at the Nantucket um, Historical Association and they presented me with original documents in handwriting I couldn't read and I realized I was in trouble like <laughs> I planned a three-day trip to Nantucket to do research my husband and I went like right before Memorial Day, like just before the high season and things were open and the weather was great. And um, he went off for like a bike ride to the other side of the island. And I was like, I don't know. I was like whispering to myself, like, I don't know what to do. Oh, no. 
was stuck and I was like raising my hand like a student in class like can anybody and they were like no we can't help you you're here to do your research and um, luckily that was only a little bit of it I did go to interview I interviewed the former head of the Nantucket Historical Association Betsy Tyler who is a great researcher and has written several books about prominent Nantucket women. And she actually is interviewing me at the book festival. And so I spoke to her one day and I went to the Mariah Mitchell Association and spoke to Jason Finger, the head of that. So I was really busy and it was just those bad two hours. The good thing about what I found on the fire was someone had self-published an entire history of the fire and had done all of that first person, like accounting, like read newspaper articles and gone through archives and placed everybody, you know, in town at different points in the fire so that I could use all of that and did not have to do very much old, musty, creaky research. Interesting. And for people who aren't familiar with the fire, can you give like the basics of it? Yeah, I don't want to ruin it too much, but I will say that um, what I do in the book is a countdown to the fire, which was an idea that someone in um, my class... I loved that, by the way. That was very cool. Like one week to the fire, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because you're like building suspense and... Exactly. So I like stories like that. Like I watched Titanic again. I mean, my daughter, my daughter was like, I'm never getting on a boat. It was like the perfect storm, all the disaster films, because we have the the dramatic ironies. We as viewers or readers know this event is coming and the people in the story do not. I love that tension and sort of highlighted that. But at some point, you know, a week after the book opens, a fire breaks out in town. And because of several things that happen, it spreads quickly and it goes in directions that they could not have predicted. And they tried all the things they tried earlier. There were two other great fires, neither one as great as this one. And they tried things like blowing up a house um, between, you know, two others, because the idea was if there's nothing for the fire to catch onto, then it will stop. It will die out. And it was called a fire break. And those were, that was done, I believe, also in Boston. And that was kind of like the technology at the time. Let's blow up a house to save the rest of the block kind of a thing. That didn't really work. So it's, you know, many hours of people running through town and trying to save the people and the things that they care about the most. And then you'll see what happens also after the fire. Love it. This is going to sound like such a privileged conversation, but I've been going to the Hamptons since 1979 and you've been going to Nantucket since 1978. I've seen like a bazillion changes to the community and the commerce and and just so much from when I used to go when it was like potato fields all around the houses and all that stuff. What have you seen shift in all of your time going to Nantucket and like what are you happy about or not so happy about and like what has that been like sort of having a, a first person view of that shifting tide if you a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, I I will say that my parents, so in 78, we started going. In 83, my parents, we came back from camp, my brother and I, and we were getting ready for our trip to Nantucket. And my parents said, um, and actually you and I need to talk about this at some point. My parents said, we're getting divorced. But, and I know your family from reading your memoir. Oh, thank you. <laughs> your, you know, childhood story too. We're getting divorced, but we're still going to Nantucket as a family because it will always be, we will always be a family. And that is where we will always be a family. So, <laughs> yes, very interesting. They never then bought anything because they divorced, my aunt and uncle divorced, the family just kept reconfiguring. So while I've gone there every summer, it's in some, you know, I just have to get back there for a weekend or a week or with my kids and with grandparents, but, you know, different houses where I'm walking back and forth across the street from one rental house to the other and still feeling like a child of divorce. Um, (laughs) And so I don't, the changes I've seen have been in terms of really how many people come to the island now, and in particular post COVID, because they weren't people were not going farther away. They weren't going to Europe, and they were like, "Oh, Nantucket's exotic. I've never been there." And suddenly, everybody showed up. So now it's very hard to get reservations at restaurants. I cannot get my car on the ferry the past two years, even though I'm up at five a.m to press the buttons and and the system shuts down and then, you know, it's a mess. So for me, I, I find that it's still about going to beaches, packing lunches in the morning, peanut butter and jelly on a, you know, warm Portuguese roll that I got that morning at the Nantucket bake shop, um, packing up sandwiches who likes, you know, peanut butter, chunky peanut butter with this kind of jelly and this kind of that packing up the car and spending the day on the beach. So I try to keep it as, you know, simple and pristine and like the old days as possible because I'm only there for a week or two, but certainly big, big yachts, big houses, lots of influx of, of money and people. And I try to keep it, try to stay away from that as much as possible. Wow. Yeah. Influx of people for sure. <laughs> the Hamptons as well. Really? Yeah. But, um, but I feel like Nantucket has maintained so much of its charm and some of those like independent stores more so than like East Hampton, which has now become a lot of chain stores and sort of like an outdoor mall, which is such a shame. But Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good point because Nantucket in the late 80s, I think, 
or early 90s kind of came up with this idea of the Historical Preservation Society to maintain the look and feel of the homes and to decide who could come and open a shop. So besides from like Veronica Beard and a Ralph Lauren store, there are no, um, there's no traffic lights, there's no McDonald's, there's no big commercial stores or um, chain stores and all the homes outside of town are gray shingled with white trim and you only can have 10 different colors. You could paint your front door. They're <laughs> historic Nantucket colors. You can get them at Marine Home. Wow. Um, and so they really, and also the, the land preservation trust buys up land. If you buy an acre, they buy an acre. So the island will never get over grown. Um, people are knocking small things down and putting up big things, but still need to make sure they look a certain way and pass certain rules. So they're trying as much as possible to keep that old feeling. Do they have height requirements too? Like it yeah. can't be a certain height and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Near, yeah. In LA, there's this neighborhood where somebody has built like a secret third floor and it's like the talk of the town, you know, because it's like just a little too high. And now the people haven't moved in. And I'm like, how can these people even move in? Do you know, like everyone hates them already. So. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was, I read the Nantucket Current, which is the newsletter that comes like three times a week in email. Like yeah. some people read the New York Times. Like yeah. I'm so into it. But there's a story about the back of someone's house having a much more modern, like very contemporary from the back. But it's not visible to anybody personally. <laughs> but then there were people who were saying there is a path and I do pass by and I am upset. By oh, what my I'm gosh. I'm on the path. And then they had to take pictures and show. Oh, my goodness. That is so funny. That is that's just crazy. Oh, my goodness. So when you're creating when you were creating these characters and obviously based on like, how did you pick which families to spotlight, like which characters within the family, like how did you dive in? So I knew once I had the fire and I watched Titanic a million times, I was like, well, nobody cares unless they care about the people. So who am I populating this with? And the first person I came up with was a whaler's wife, because that was what was known to me having done little research. And so I created Eliza Macy first. I picked one of those 10 founding names and and just attached Eliza as an old fashioned sounding name. But meanwhile, I got a call the other day from a guy who was like, hi, I found your number on the internet. And I was like, this cannot, what? Be this is not going to be good, but I'm listening. And he said, and I'm a descendant of Eliza Macy. <gasps> and no. Emily and I are wondering if you're Macy Eliza Macy is our Eliza Macy. And I laughed and I said, no, I just pulled a name. He said, we thought so based on what's happening in your book. And our Eliza had a son who did found, found Macy's department store. So, and I only, my mate, Eliza Macy has only daughters. So yeah, but then other Macy's are coming out of the woodwork too. Um, there's a woman in, who invited me to Minnesota to see her genealogical tree of Macy's. <laughs> So um, I'm going to put them in touch. Good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Eliza was first. She's a she's like a desperate housewife. She's alone most of her t most of the time. Let's say of her 20 year marriage, she's ever been on land with her husband for two or three years total. And then she just gets a letter from him saying that he's not coming back to Nantucket as planned. 
So she's also angry with him. She's out of money. She's lonely. She's not her best self when we first meet her. And then I thought, who would be a good balance to that? A good, you know, counter. And I thought of Mariah Mitchell, who is a real person. She's my only main character who is based on a historically accurate person. That is her name. And it's hard because it's M-A-R-I-A. And so I know people are going to read it as Maria. I tried to cue that someone calls to her and says, like in an old Boston accent, Mariah, you know, and it's like Mm -hmm. you can hear it. But Mm -hmm. Mariah Mitchell was the first female librarian in America. Could only have happened on Nantucket because I think a man would have taken that job anywhere else in the country. But many men were away. She's very bright. She studied science. She became an astronomer. There's a whole, um, she taught at Vassar where there's an observatory in her name. There's an observatory in her name on Nantucket. And so she's a woman of science. She's uh, independent. She never married. She makes her own money. So I thought that was a good balance to Meg, to Mariah. I mean, to Eliza. Now I'm getting all, all <laughs> confused. But the thing about Mariah was, Growing up, like I would walk into the library and see this painting of her on the wall and she did not look fun and friendly. And like I needed to shake off that perception of her as like this matron, like librarian who would wisp, you know, get mad at you for whispering in the or bending the page of a book um, and make her more interesting and make her my own. So once I did that, I was really happy with her. And then I read about this entire freeborn black community that was prospering on Nantucket at the same time, living sort of parallel to the white community. The the most integrated place in America were whaling ships. They did not care what the color of your skin was, where you were from, anything about you, except if you could pull your weight on a vessel. And if you could work hard and make them money, they loved you. And um, so, so it was possible for people of color to do really well at whaling. And so black captains of color would come back wealthy and set up businesses and shops and and schools and educate their kids. And so I based Meg on one or two of those women from history who took the entrance exam for the high school, but did not pass. I mean, did pass, but could not be allowed into the high school because it was only for white kids. She now has a child of her own and one on the way and wants something better for her children as well as her own business with her husband. And that's how I came up with the three of them. So interesting. Oh my gosh. So cool. This literally like inspires me to be like, I wonder what the backstory of like such and such a person in that, you know, in that portrait, because it's so easy to walk past all of the history or like all the benches in Central Park and just all of those are stories with so much rich history. And I don't know. I'm like, if I could do a historical novel, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it was interesting. And also there's something that we know about Mariah that happened during that time that left us with very little about her, which gave me as a novelist the chance to make it up. So that was really fun. So it wasn't just doing the research. Um, but yeah, it, it, you forget that there are all of these things that happened before and that people are, you know, complicated and mean and angry and all that, not just like do-gooders with a name on a bench. Yeah. And, you know, 40 months of a husband traveling 
back then is sort of like how I feel about my husband being away for like two weeks. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, really? Two weeks? And they're like, yeah. like 40 months. Okay. You know, like, oh my yeah, well, that is, and that's what my husband is always in, in one of my novels. In the last one, it starts with this woman whose husband died suddenly. So my, so Brett was like, well, I guess in this one, at least the husband is alive, even if he's <laughs> off at sea all the time. And, uh, and she's mad at him. <laughs> he's not dead, but Brett moved to Rhode Island. He got a job here. Um, we were still in New York. We were in Scarsdale and he was looking for a job for two years. And it was at the point where like people were talking about us and told me after, like, how can you stay in Scarsdale? your husband hasn't worked for two years. And I was like, yeah, it's pretty hard. Like, you know, we're doing what we can. And um, he got a job in Rhode Island, which is where he's from. And a friend reached out about a job at CVS. And I said, okay, go interview. And of course, he got the job. And I got a job in New York teaching at the same time. So for a year, we lived separately. And I worked full time. And I had a third and sixth grader and no childcare lined up. And I was out of the house before they got on the bus and things got complicated and, and I did feel lonely and I did feel sort of like I was in this marriage with a person who was doing something to help us, but wasn't physically present when I needed him right. to be in the room doing this or that. And that helped me create Eliza. Well, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. <laughs> Julie, congratulations. So exciting. Daughters of Nantucket, so many fun events coming up. I'm sure they're all on your website or Instagram, right? Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on and congratulations. Thanks, Ibby. Okay. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.